If you give a hurried look to the want ad section in the newspaper, most of the ads focus on a job request. Tell you how to contact the employer. In some cases, they may even tell you some some major requirements of the job. These are some want ads that I found recently. Help wanted, cab drivers wanted, nights and weekends, must have a good driving and criminal record. Here's another. It's getting close to Thanksgiving. Turkey for sale, partly eaten, only eight days old. Both drumsticks still intact. $23 or best offer. You might need this ad if you eat that turkey. Use Tombstone, perfect for someone named Homer Hedel Bergen Heinzel. One only, only one of those tombstones. Here's one Burger King was looking for some, some people. It takes many ingredients to make Burger King, King great, but the secret ingredient is our people. You might be served that burger by this waitress. Waitress needed must be 18 years old with 20 years experience. Now this one you have to. This is more cerebral. You got to kind of to look at this. You have to understand. I mean, this is a good job. Receptionist, office assistant, full time, minimum thirty hours a week. Organized and dependable person with good phone and communication skills to answer phones and perform general office assistance functions. Experience preferred with knowledge of switchboard, voicemail, and Microsoft Office. Excellent benefits. Ten dollars and fifteen ten dollars fifteen cents an hour to start. That's a good job. I mean, a lot of people would like that job. But where do you apply for it? They need an office assistant, don't they? <laughs> they really do. But if you can find out where to apply for it, good luck. Good luck. Now this is, I left, myself, I left my favorite for last. Wanted somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. This was that haircut I was telling you I was wanting Peyton to get next time. I mean, look at that. You'll get paid after you get back. In some ads, the name says it all. Like if we had an ad for a carpenter, that would just, that would just tell you all you need to know, wouldn't it? Carpenter wanted, call such and such number. If the ad asked for a carpenter and you asked, answered the ad and you were hired, you'd be expected to do certain things, wouldn't you? You'd be expected to, to saw and to, to measure and to nail, right? What if you were hired for the job and you, and you went out to the job and you, you measured the board and you, and you cut the board, but you refused to hammer? You just, I'm just, I'm just not going to hammer. Forget about it. Well, you wouldn't have a job as a carpenter very long. There are certain things you are required to do to be a Christian and remain a Christian. There's a job request of sorts found in the letter of Paul. If you would please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 12, let's look at this one ad which contains our New Testament command for this month. Uh, every month in 
this year we've been looking at uh, once a month New Testament commands in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, and see how this job requirement for being a Christian will help us understand our responsibility to be a Christian today. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, therefore, to understand what he's writing about, as Doug Parks often says, we've got to go back just a little and see what he's writing therefore. Why is it here? Just before our passage today, our, our won't add, Paul wrote of the humble character of Jesus, but how God exalted him above all. Paul talks about how glorious Jesus is. And that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, my beloved, my dearly loved, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. What have they obeyed? Paul is writing to Christians. Before one can become a Christian, they first must obey the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news being that Jesus died, was buried, beat death and sin and rose and now sits at the right hand of God. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. How one obeys the gospel is found in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. You are baptized into his death. You are buried with him in baptism and raised like him to walk life anew. There as Paul wrote to the Philippians, then you continue always to obey. Paul says in Romans 6 verse 13, to those who obey the gospel, do not present your members, your, your body parts, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's what Brother Dan was talking about this morning. We can't present our body parts in that way, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The Philippians were this kind of Christian. They obeyed. They abounded in love, he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. They abounded in love and knowledge and discernment and were filled with fruits of righteousness, it says in verse 11. And Paul prayed that they would abound more. These were good people, we might say. Good people. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Paul is saying, testifying of their obedience that he saw firsthand. You have always obeyed. It begs the question, have you always obeyed? Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, one thing I've heard our elders comment on before is how sad it is when Christians forget they are Christians, whether they're on vacation or when they think they're alone. You know, I searched my sources far and wide but could not find out who said this, but somebody really smart said, you know who you are by what you do when you're alone. 
And that's true to some extent when, when, finish this, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is saying, in my presence you obeyed, but I'm not there, and you've got to do this yourself. We understand this by by teaching a child to ride a bike or drive a car. (laughs) Peyton came in with the lights on, lights off, sorry, tonight. At some point, though, we've got to let them go, don't we, parents? At some point, we've, we've got to let them go. And we've got to say, I'm not going to be there anymore. You've got to do this on your own. I can't hold up the bicycle anymore. I can't sit in the passenger seat anymore and have that imaginary break. Christian, at some point, the elders won't be there to tell you what to do. You'll have to be a Christian anyway, though. You have to do it yourself. I'm telling you this because I love you. And when the elders or the deacons or one of the members calls and and, and checks on you because they miss you, I can only offer the apology of, I'm sorry you are loved. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Now here's your New Testament command. Some of you asked me coming in if we weren't going to have our way in tonight, if we were going to have a workout tonight. No, we're not going to have a workout tonight. This is the New Testament command. We've been studying New Testament commands every evening this year, and our study this evening is on the word workout. What makes this a command? What makes a, a command a command in the New Testament? Every New Testament command we've looked at this year follows this formula. In the original language, there's a formula that follows for verbs. Okay? There are components that make up a verbal command in the New Testament. Each verb in the Greek New Testament is made up of one of four tenses, three voices, and five moods. Verbs have a tense, a voice, a mood, and these can be in any combination. There are many commands which are made up of the present active imperative model of a New Testament command. But most all commands, with a few exceptions, are in the imperative or command mood. Our verb phrase today is is no exception. All of the commands that we've studied this year have been imperative commands. The Greek solidifies that this is not just a suggestion. This is a command to work out. But our verb phrase work out is atypical. Because of the voice. Work out is in the present tense, which means that this is a a continuous act in progress. It's, It's at the present time. You're doing it now and you need to continue to do it in the future. It's in the middle voice, which is something that you do alone. And it's in the imperative mood that this is something you do. 
This is something you're doing now and you're going to continue in the future. You do this by yourself and you continue to do so. It's a command to work out your salvation. By the form of the word is a verbal exclamation point that in your job as a Christian, you cannot rely on others to save you. This is ultimately between you and God. Peter said it this way, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Are you sure about your salvation? That's what you're commanded to work out. Work out your salvation. Your own complies with the properties of the verb, the tense, the the voice, and the mood. Work out your own salvation. Why? Because God commands it. That should be enough. Why? Because it's in your best interest. God will take vengeance on those who do not know the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. If you don't obey the gospel, God will take his vengeance out on you. Why should you obey? Because I can't save you. The elders can't save you. If I could, why didn't Paul tell the Philippians to let their preacher work out their salvation? Why? Because salvation of the soul will not take place without faith. Faith on our part. By grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2 verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. To work out one's salvation is to comply with the conditions on which God has promised to save. And you add to this faith, this faith being God's plan of salvation in obedience of the gospel, you add to this faith, you continue to work out your salvation by adding goodness, 2 Peter 1 verse 5, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. You do what God wants. He set the plan of salvation in motion. Follow the plan and God will save you. God will forgive you. God will love you. Christ is our Savior, and we did not deserve this love. We didn't deserve God's grace that was shown to us, and while He is the author of salvation, we must accept His command to obey and work together with Him. This is why the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, commands, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, save yourselves, and here, work out your own salvation you can call yourself a race car driver you can call yourself an astronaut you can call yourself the president of the United States but without the credentials you're none of those you can call yourself a Christian all you want to but until you've obeyed you're still on the outside looking in Are you sure about your salvation? Are you sure you got it nailed down? Are you sure you got it right? How do you know? How do you know? If what you have done doesn't live up with God's plan, 
you've got work to do. A part of which you were only qualified to do. Do you want this job? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This job requires reverent work, fear and trembling. It's best described as respectful behavior. This is not fear to drive us away from God, but, a, but, but, to, but to God. We must work out reverently, like a doctor, like a surgeon, or, or an airplane pilot. You know, they don't go to their job, uh, you know, eating a bologna sandwich and, and, and thinking, well, this is just old hat. No, they, they approach their job knowing what's at stake, knowing that there are lives in their hands. They have respect for human life, respect for the unpredictable, a certain amount of reverence for, for what they're working with. So should we. Fear and trembling. Do you have reverence for, for who you're working with, for what you're working with? The gospel of Jesus Christ and working with God Almighty. In the Christian's case, the most powerful being in the universe is God Almighty. We must be reverent and fear and tremble at our job. Like the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, verse 33, who, who knew she could, if she could just, just touch the hem of Jesus' garment that she would be healed. And she was. And Jesus, he, he, he felt the power leave him, it says, and he wanted to know who it was that touched him. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. When was the last time that you feared and trembled like that? When was the last time that you hit your knees and told God everything? Told him the whole truth, the whole sordid details. He already knows it. Paul told the Corinthians that he was with them in, in, in weakness and fear and in much trembling, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. Paul knew who was in charge. Those of us in 2 Corinthians class, we've read of Paul's writings to them about Titus, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, and his affections are greater for you, he's talking about Titus, as he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. That's how we received Dan Williams this morning. Knowing that it was going to be a pointed lesson on modesty, knowing that some would not like it, with fear and trembling, because it was the truth that he was bringing in this pointed lesson. Dan, will your affection for us be even greater if we see that you, we obey the command of God that you brought to us? He'll love us even more. Think about how you've thought about a boss you've 
respected. Or your, or your daddy, or, or, or a cop, or, or, or a judge. And understand Ephesians 6 verse 5, Bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sincerity in your heart as to Christ. You must work reverently and you must work confidently. Some of you who are not Christians yet might be saying, this is too hard. Why in the world would I want to do this kind of work? I'm sure I can't do it. I want you to remember that when you become a Christian, you are not alone. Never. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is at work in you. The word work in the original language is akin to our word for for energy. God energizes us. Through the reading and obedience of his will, by timely sermons, Bible classes, by the exhortation or encouragement of a brother or sister, or by what we've been created for, good works. Even even in nature itself, by what God has made. And all of our obedience pleases God. And folks, he doesn't take any pleasure in disobedience. When you're disobedient to God, he does not take pleasure in that. In verse 12, we're commanded to work out. In verse 13, God is at work. There's there's a man's part and there's God's part. And we can take confidence that God has done his part. God's done his part. With confidence, we can fulfill our work willingly. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Sometimes we want to fuss and argue about what's going on. And I, you know, I've even heard of some who write anonymous letters to brothers and sisters. Sometimes mean letters. Because they really don't want to get into the fuss. They're trying to avoid that, you know. I can understand them trying to avoid the fuss, but those are hurtful too. We just do it God's way. And like he says in Matthew 18, if we've got a problem with our brother, go to him. We get things worked out a lot better and a lot quicker, a lot more harmonious. We, 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 you know, we can't do things complaining and disputing. We're supposed to do all things without complaining and disputing. All things means all things. We're to be willing workers, verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Paul says we need to be Blameless, not sinless, blameless. Now, we're supposed to run from sin, flee immorality. But we're sinners. We fall short. 
Every one of us. If we say we're not sinners, we're liars. So we're sinners. We're to be blameless, to live a life that, that no finger of criticism can be laid and pointed on us. Like Paul, we, we too live in a, a crooked and perverse generation, don't we? And like the Philippians, we need to be the good guys. We need to wear the white hats. We need to be the guys that you'd want to meet in the dark alley. We need to, we need to be the guys that you'd, that you'd want to pick, pick up because they've had a flat tire. We need to be lights in the world. We need not just to tell the world, but show the world who we are. The word here for, for light is the word used for a star. Do you want to be a star? I'm not talking about the Hollywood kind. I'm not talking about getting your, getting your, getting your name in the pavement and your star in the pavement. You know, sailors who've been lost at sea have many times looked at the stars and, and found their way. The wise men from the east, they, they looked at a star and, and they found Jesus. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in this crooked and perverse generation and be the light, be the star that others can follow and maybe find their way to the way, Jesus Christ. We are to shine as heavenly lights in the world. Jesus used another word for light in, in Matthew 5 verse 16. He said, let your light, your everyday light, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're the light. Be the light. You're the light and should be seen that way. Verse 16, holding fast, literally to hold upon, to, to fix attention upon what? Verse 16, the word of life. Where do we find this word? In the scriptures? In the Bible? What is the word of life? The word of life is the gospel. It's God's power to save. God can give you light. It's his power, the gospel, to save you, Romans 1.16. Holding fast to the gospel is continued obedience to it. Holding fast to, to these wonderful words of life. We, we sing that song. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. So that in the day of Christ, the day that Jesus Christ comes back, you could be saved. He is coming back. If you believe He lived, if you believe He died, if you believe He was buried, if you believe that He rose from the dead, if you believe that if you obey the gospel, the good news by being baptized into His death and burial and like Jesus, be raised up anew and someday live with God forever, Obey the gospel today. So like Paul, I may rejoice in the day of Christ 
that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. And so you can be saved. Christians are wanted to be added or restored. That invitation is to you right now. Together we stand and sing.